There are many ways people listen to vision, including through a PC at work. When you fire up your computer at work, go to vision.org.au slash listen and click the Vision or V180 Listen Live buttons. You can also catch the latest Vision National News Bulletin and enjoy a growing range of on-demand podcasts from the same page all while you work. However, and wherever you listen to Vision, you can be sure that the announcers, programs and music will help you look to God daily. This is Sunday Morning Together across Australia on Vision Christian Radio. Let me introduce to you my special guest today here with me in the studio, uh, a former senior pastor. These days, still got his hand in some pastoral duties in his local church, and you'll hear him often here on Vision, Andrew McLennan. Hello. Phil, good to be with you as always. Or should I call you Pastor Andrew McLennan? We just call you Andrew around here. So, What about special guest Andrew, SGA? <laughs> SGA. <laughs> Sounds like some sort of local government area or something. It does, yeah. So um, and now people may not know this about uh, about you as they hear you on Vision doing interviews. And I've got to say you're doing a great job too, by the way. But um, you were a senior pastor of a church for many years. In fact, when we first met, gosh, maybe 10 years ago, that's what you were doing. Yeah, and you don't look any older either, Phil. <laughs> Thanks, mate. <laughs> yeah, uh, we we started uh, a church with five people, five other people, and um, my wife and I, and in someone's house. We started very small, very organic. Wow. And uh, so, yeah, we were senior pastors and founders of a church. So uh, that, that was grew, a, obviously. It grew, yeah, and the church ended up with its own building. We miraculously bought an old warehouse and renovated it yeah, about 12 kilometers from our city center, which is no mean feat. Uh, with the cost of real estate, many times I drive around just looking at real estate, thinking, "God, how are we ever going to have a building in this area? It's so expensive." Yeah, I think a cinema went up for sale, and it was twelve million dollars for an old cinema because I thought we could buy it. Yeah, and then I found out the price tag, and I just got discouraged again. So, yeah, yeah God did some miracles on that journey, but here I am now working at Vision and loving it. Well, as I said, you're doing a fantastic job. You get to interview all sorts of interesting people, and is there one that comes to mind as like that's just the most memorable? Yeah, and I don't want to cry again, but the the interview with the indigenous pastor the other day just so moving. Mm. Hearing his story of just trauma is it and James abuse. Dargan, is it James Dargan? Yeah. yeah, just amazing. His story of trauma and abuse, and how now he's asking white Australia to forgive him for hating yes. white people when he was bashed by police, he was abused as a child in a foster care situation, and that really moved my heart. Such a different message uh, to what we're hearing a lot of at the moment. Of course, we've got, what is it, a week to go thereabouts to the referendum. Yep. Uh, there's a lot of talk about, a lot of hurt that is out there. And here's a guy who <laughs> most people would probably say, well, yeah, you, we wouldn't blame you if you hated people who treated you badly because they treated him very, very badly. But he's chosen to embrace forgiveness and he's now championing that message. Yeah, it's amazing. I've never heard anything like it. And never met anyone like that because it's one thing to forgive, but that's another thing to then say, I need you to forgive me because I hated you. Yeah. And I'm sitting there thinking like you. I'm thinking, no, you deserve to hate me. Like if anyone deserved to hate someone, it was you. Yeah. So, yeah, that was very moving and I'll always remember that. Yeah. Uh, so if you want to listen to that, it's well worth looking up. You'll find that in the Vision app. Uh, just go into the 2020 podcasts and look for Pastor James Dargan. D-A-R-G-I-N, I think it was. D-A-R-G, I think that's right. Yeah. It is. I listened to it. Um, and it was one of those where I, I got to my destination, I was listening to it in the car, and I just sat there and listened to the rest of it. It was moving, very yeah. moving. So that's that's definitely worth looking up in the Vision app. Uh, look for uh, James Dargan. Sunday morning together. 
Across Australia on Vision Christian Radio. Andrew, what would your gifts be? Uh, well, I'm obviously a pretty good talker, but I think I'm a pretty good listener. I've worked really hard over the years to be a listener. Okay. Is that something that's come naturally to you or you've had to learn it? No, like all of us, I think when we become adults, we think that speaking a lot shows our wisdom and shows mm-hmm. our knowledge, even in sales. A lot of people think selling is talking, talking, talking and convincing. But I believe the greatest communicators in the world are great listeners. Mm. It's a it's quite an art form when especially if you're in a conversation, you're often framing the next thing I'm going to say rather than listening to how do I respond or what's a good question to ask off the back of, of something. It's a real challenge, isn't it? Yeah, and you know, James said be quick to listen and slow to speak. And so the world is the other way around. And mm. you look at Jesus, so he said the most profound things in history. But he didn't use many words, mm. and yet his statements are so short and succinct. Like you know, but we remember them. Whereas if we talk too much, people don't remember what we say because it's just all lost in the noise. Mm. I love the story of the woman caught in adultery, and they're all there about to throw their stones and cast their judgment. And Jesus comes along, and he writes in the dust. And the scriptures doesn't say if he said anything or not. So I presume that he didn't. And I don't know what he wrote, but it was <laughs> it was enough for them to drop their stones. And, uh, and walk away, and then he just let it play out. And then he said to her, go and sin no more. Yep. And Pretty said, profound. Yeah, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in the darkness. And, yeah, just these short statements, but they say mm. so much. And you think, wow, you know, if we were, if someone if someone said to us, okay, talk about the light and the darkness, like we'd probably take half an hour. Jesus just nails it with like three sentences. Mm. Yeah, that's it. It's good stuff. Sunday Morning Together with Phil Edwards on Vision Christian Radio. And it's time for us to do something quite significant, and that is take communion together. If you have some elements there, uh, have them ready. If not, that's okay. Just lean forward, bring your heart. God is most interested in our heart. And uh, what we're about to do here is uh, a celebration and a remembrance and also a declaration that Jesus is coming again. My name's Phil, and my guest and co-host today is Pastor Andrew McLennan, and he's going to lead us in communion right now, so it's over to you. Excellent. Well, I'm going to read out a Bible verse, which is Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. It's one of my favorites. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so as we take communion today, I want us to remember the the body that was broken and the blood that was shed for us all, but to remember that it was because of his love. So if you've got any bread or a little wafer or something now you're going to take, I want you to grab that and I want you to um, just take it in a couple of minutes, but in a couple of moments. But just as you do, just remember his body was broken for you because he loved you. There's someone in this world who loves you today. So let's take that bread or that wafer right now. And then the next up, if you've got any grape juice there or anything like that that you're going to take this morning, I want you to remember that, yeah, Jesus, his blood was poured out. It wasn't just a trickle. It was poured out onto the ground through those holes in his hands and his feet. But that happened because he loved you. He loved you so much. He allowed his blood to be poured out for you. He was he was killed. He was crucified. And as we take this grape juice or whatever you're drinking right now for communion, I want you to remember that it's because of his love that his blood was shed. And, you know, maybe you you didn't take communion because you didn't have anything, but just 
in your heart, I just want you to just remember that someone loves you. You know, even Paul, he was constantly just blown away by the love of God. For him to mention that, that I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. I think it's a real key to Christianity to keep our faith strong and alive, to remember that he loves us. And so as we've taken communion today, or maybe we just remember Jesus and his death and his um, blood that was shed for us today, just remember it's all because of the love of God. Someone loves you today. He loved you 2,000 years ago, but he loves you today, and his name is Jesus. Father, we thank you for this. We just thank you that you sent your son to die for us, that, Lord, his sacrifice was our sacrifice, Lord God. His death was our death, and his resurrection is our resurrection. And we do, we proclaim, Lord, right now that you are coming back again to take your bride, to take us to yourself, Lord. And we thank you for this day that we are those ones, that chosen generation, that holy nation, Lord God, that you have set apart, that you've called aside to yourself to know you and to know your love. We thank you for this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Sunday morning together across Australia on Vision Christian Radio. It's Corey Voss. And a song called Canyons on Vision Christian Radio. I don't know about you, I've seen some fantastic canyons in different places. The Grand Canyon, the grandest of them all. Have you been there, Andrew? No, I'd love to go. Love to go. It is just amazing when you stand on the edge of that and the scale is incredible. And you get this sense that I'm just this puny little speck <laughs> when you're in a place like that. And uh, for me, it actually puts the context of the greatness of God into perspective. Yeah, yeah, amen. Yeah, I have to go. When, how long since you were there? Uh, it was a few years ago now. It was a very fleeting visit. We, we happened to have just a few days. Uh, my wife, uh, Joe, and I were in Los Angeles with Pastor Jeff Vine's church, actually. They invited us to come over, and uh, we decided we'd jump in the car and go for a little drive and went up to the Grand Canyon. How many hours is that from LA? <laughs> Quite a few. <laughs> More than we expected. But um, it's uh, it, it's a wonderful place to go. But but just that whole thing, the grandeur of God. Have you ever found yourself in that position, you know, in some beauty of nature, even just looking up into the sky at night, on a yeah. dark night when there's no cloud and the stars are out there, it just gives you that sense that God is incredibly majestic. Yeah, there's nothing like it. I love looking at stars and, you know, you're, well, you and I are both from the country originally and you get out of the city, you know, and you just look up and just, you can stare at those stars for hours. In mm. the city, not so much, you know, you can only see a few, but um, mm. you get out and you just look at that. And it's funny, later on we're going to be talking about Abraham and, and part of his encounter with God was God said, look at the stars, Abraham. And so there is something about looking at nature. It does draw us closer to God. Mm. And we need to make room for that because otherwise if we just get – stuck in our little boxes in our homes or wherever and the stuff that we've made, we lose sight of actually how much imminently bigger he is. Yeah. So there's a good thing. But as you're planning, uh, you know, make room to go out and enjoy the goodness of God in creation. This is Sunday Morning Together, and very soon we're going to learn a bit about this a man who's sitting across the desk from me this morning, Andrew. Uh, he's already dropped a few little interesting tidbits like living in Nigeria for a year. I'm sure there's plenty of other little gems in there that we'll discover this morning. Sunday morning together on Vision Christian Radio. Where did it all start for you, Andrew? Where were you born? I was born in a town called Binaway, Phil, and uh, those of us who were born in Binaway are becoming a rare breed because the Binaway Hospital no longer exists. So, uh, yeah, yeah, we, there's going to be less and less people in the world with Binaway on their passport, but I'm one of them. So central western New South Wales, kind of dubbo, mudgy, draw a line, you kind of go through Binaway sort of. 
If it's yeah, a, bend, a bendy line. Not many people go through Binaway, but if you wanted to go to Binaway, it's about 20 minutes out of Coonabarabran. So most people know Coonabarabran, sort of that halfway point between Brisbane and Melbourne if you're driving between those cities. And uh, if you take a left turn, uh, if you're on your way to Dubbo from Coonabarabran, there's a little road and it takes you to Binaway. Okay. And that's where I was born. We had a property about another 20 minutes outside of the town, a sheep property in the good old days. And uh, yeah, that's where I was born. So son of farmers? Yeah, yeah. My great-grandfather was a um, farmer from Orange, um, a citrus farmer, sold that and uh, bought a sheep property in the early part of the 20th century near Coonabarabra, near Dubbo there, uh, near Binaway, I should say. And uh, his son became a farmer and his son became a farmer who was my dad. And seven years of drought, my grandfather and my dad, because my grandfather had seen those golden years of sheep farming in Australia in the 50s and 60s mm. when they just basically were printing money. And uh, seven years of drought, they just said, ah, oh, let's give it up. Let's, you know, they had no debt on the place and they sold up and uh, moved to Sydney like the Beverly Hillbillies <laughs> and <laughs> started a new life. <laughs> I could just see you sitting on top of the old Model T Ford or whatever, going yeah. over the Blue Mountains. That's right. It was a little bit like that. but um, And, you know, we weren't a, a faith family. Binaway was known as a drinking town. Uh, I know my dad was in the local pub when I was born, and uh, there was just the lifestyle there. Not many Christians that I knew. I didn't know any, actually, in the town, and probably still don't. And so I found Faith grew up in... Fortunately, they bought a place on Manly Beach in Sydney um, from the proceeds of that farm, and um, I found Faith in Jesus when I was 17 on the beaches of Sydney. Okay, interesting. So you went from a country boy to a waxhead? Did you become a surfer? <laughs> Of course I did, yeah, reluctantly. At first I hated the ocean, I hated the city. I used to, every holidays, I'd go back to my uh, uncle and auntie's farm and been away there and I just loved the country. I loved the bush, you know, riding trail bikes, shooting guns, yeah. just mustering sheep. You know, the jobs that my cousins hated because they were there all the time, I loved. I loved shearing season. I loved being, I was a little roused about in the shearing shed because couldn't get enough of it. Yeah. So you come to Sydney and at 17 you find faith. What was the story there? How did you find faith? Yeah, there's a lot of surfers at the time who were becoming Christians, and there was a thing called Christian surfers in yep. the 80s in Sydney and yep. elsewhere, and they had a really big impact. And so, um, you know, Manly Beach at that time, as all the northern beaches of Sydney were, a lot of professional surfers. I think we had like four or five world champions from the sort of 80s to the late 90s. Uh, I won't mention all their names, but from different beaches. And my local club at Queenscliff there, there was about six or seven professional surfers at any one time. Very competitive. Mm. Everyone's trying to be the best. Mm. And one of these guys got saved. And it was big news because he was one of the best in the world. And he's a Christian and he's a good-looking guy. And those days, all that mattered was being good at something like surfing, getting lots of girls on a Saturday night, partying hard. And he had it all. And he got saved, and it kind of rattled everyone. And uh, and I bumped into him, and uh, long story cut short, as I, I, I became a Christian as well. Through him, he led me to the Lord. Yeah, wow. How did that happen? Well, I got invited to a small group, and uh, not far from where I lived, and I rode my push bike up there, um, and I got in the lift, and that professional surfer was in the lift. And I knew him. He's older than me, so he was one of my heroes. And in the water, I was kind of intimidated by him because he was a pro, and he was on the world tour, and... Um, and he was the sort of guy that would steal waves off me, you know, and in those days, grommets like me, you didn't argue with the older guys. They had their way. <laughs> and he's like, what are you doing here? And I'm like, oh, you know, going to this Bible study thing? And he's like, yeah, me too. And so went upstairs, went to the group. They stood around in a circle and sang songs with an acoustic guitar, which I found very weird. Mm. And I thought, well, obviously, this is what Christians do. Okay, I get that. And then they went around the circle and all told their life story, which I found very weird as well. And looking back, I think they geared the whole thing towards me because I was the, the non-Christian kid in the meeting. Yeah, right. 
Uh, and then at the end of it, this guy, this pro surfer guy, he just went after me. He just said, right, Andrew, what'd you think? And I said, oh, yeah, it was okay. And he got his Bible and he started nailing me with the Bible, just nailed me. You know, like, He's like, you want sex? Well, I'm going to show you what the Bible says about sex. And he pulled out the Song of Solomon. He's like, you know, the Bible says sex is awesome, but you got to get married first. You know, and that was his little caveat at the end. And he's like, you know, you want to get drunk? Well, the Bible says don't be drunk. We want to be filled with the Spirit. And he just started nailing me. Everything that was important to me in my lifestyle, he just had a scripture for and, uh, yeah, long story cut short, he said, do you want to pray a prayer? And I did. And that was it. Something yeah. happened, Phil. Um, I looked up and I felt different. You know, yeah. I don't want to get emotional. I had a weird day, so I'm crying a lot. But, um, you know, I looked up after praying that simple prayer, and I know it's a cliche, but it was like a weight was off my shoulders. Yeah. And I looked him in the eye, and I went from being this kid that was intimidated by this pro surfer to I looked him in the eye like a man. And he even said to me, he goes, you look at me in the eye. And I said, yeah, I am. It was like this. It was like God had changed my heart. It was amazing. Mm. Did somebody disciple you? Yeah, I, did. I had a guy from school because I went to an all-boys school in Sydney there. It was quite a rough school. I remember one Sunday morning I woke up and there was a headline in the Sunday newspaper, worst school in the state. Mm. And as I read down, I was like, that's my school. You know? <laughs> and we were Was pretty... it a badge of honor? Or... <laughs> yeah, we were proud of it. You know, We were a very dysfunctional uh, bunch of boys and- like, as an example, when we finished grade 12, we weren't allowed to have a school formal because the teachers didn't trust us. You know, that's kind of how bad our grade yeah, okay. was. But, um, yeah, so this guy in the school, there was only a handful of Christians. He just um, zeroed in on me and he would come around on Sunday and just um, borrow his dad's car and say, we're going to church. And I'd be thinking, oh, I don't feel like going to church, but he's here. So I went with him, you know, and he just was on me. And um, he gave me Christian music, which really helped me. You remember David Meese, mm -hmm. um, Dion, was it Dion DeLucci? DeMucci. Oh, dude, those songs used to just speak to me. Mm. Um, what, like, what year was this, do you remember? What, uh, this what? was, I got saved at the end of 86. So 87 okay. was the year I was really discipled. That was grade 12. Yeah. Went to a Christian camp in the school holidays in grade 12 run by the Anglican Church, which was just awesome. All these Christian kids all went down to Kiama near the blowhole down there mm. to study in grade 12. And a friend and I who also got saved around the same time as me, surfies, um, we'd never studied a day in our life. And we went to this Christian study camp um, and they all came with massive backpacks full of books and we went down with our surfboards. Or <laughs> <laughs> well, you went to study oceanography or something. Yeah, yeah there was a clash of cultures there. And... Um, but you know these great, just these great Christian kids, and and you you hang out with them, and and you just sense the love of God through them. They're so accepting and loving. Because like I said, the beaches were very competitive in the eighties. Phil, everyone was it was dog eat dog. Everyone trying to be better than everybody else and prove they were better than everybody else, and very selfish. Lots of selfish people, um, and then to be surrounded by Christians in those sort of environments, it just it just melts your heart and it yeah. changes you. And, you know, I actually started studying that year in grade 12, and I, I managed to claw my way up. I think I got the third highest mark in grade 12 of my school, considering in grade 11 I had like 43 official days absent. That was a pretty good achievement, and that was just God changing me from the inside. Mm. What did your parents think about all this? Uh, look, my mum used to read tarot cards, and uh, she was a bit of a you know amateur fortune teller, and she wasn't very happy about it. You know, she wasn't a fan of Christianity or Christians, and... She used to give me a hard time, to be honest. And um, and so when I finished grade 12, um, you know, for example, I'd be reading my Bible. And I didn't read it enough. But when I did read it, it was weird. She'd come in my bedroom. What are you doing reading that book? Get out of here. Go and do something with your life. And it's, she was a bit of a partier when she was young and a bit of a rebel. And I think she secretly wished I was still living that life with my friends, you know, in the mm. world. And so when I finished grade 12, a friend and I moved up to Brisbane or we came to visit 
and his brother-in-law just started a new church. And we both said, you know, let's take a year off uni and just come up to Queensland away from our normal environment. His dad wasn't a Christian either. And we sort of came up here and it was really good for us to sort of get out of that environment and into a new environment where we just were living with Christians and, and obviously helping a church plant. And that really helped me grow. Mm. What kind of vocation did you stumble into? Say that again, a vocation? Yeah. What did you do for work? What'd yeah, you- good question. So up here, I um, ended up getting a job with the um, Treasury Department of Queensland Government, and they had an investment arm called QTC. They still do, actually, Queensland Treasury Corp. I got a job there and uh, really enjoyed that. And uh, naturally speaking, I should have then gone on to study finance and banking and accounting. Mm-hmm. I'd enrolled in journalism and deferred for a year, but then... I started sensing this call from God, and I went to Bible college instead, and that just completely changed my life forever. Mm. I got a picture of Bible college in my mind as being pretty conservative. You know, maybe it's in suburbia, and you know, there's routine and all of that. Sometimes it's bridal college. <laughs> uh, some people call it that. What, what was your experience? Is that what it was like? Well, it definitely wasn't bridal college because I went up to P and G um, for for my year of Bible college, and. Um, at the end, Christmas Eve, Phil, from 89 to 90, so not Christmas Eve, New Year's Eve, I'm reading the Bible, Jeremiah. God says, I'm going to send you where I want to send you. You're going to speak what I'm going to speak. I find myself weeping, and I don't know why. And I've never left Australia before, Never didn't even have a passport, and I felt this scripture speaking to me. Mm. Two weeks later, these missionaries from P&G visit my church, start talking about revival, about dead babies being raised to life, and and all this stuff happening. I'm sitting there, and it's like I can see it in my heart. Like they described the story of this baby being raised to life under a village hut somewhere under a thatch roof hut, and it's like I could see it. And then they talk to my pastor, and they say, hey, we've got this Bible college, and T.L. Osborne's grandson's going to be there. T.L. just opened it for us. You got any young guys who might want to go to Bible college? And my pastor's like, yeah, I've got one, and, and he tells me about it. And, I'm, and he was a very persuasive person. Mm. And so the more he tried to persuade me, the more I tried to say no. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you're telling me to get a P&G. Where's that? I don't even know where it is. And, uh, but you know, I prayed about it and uh, felt a real peace about it. And ended up that year, like within six weeks of crying over the scripture from Jeremiah, I ended up in Papua New Guinea, first time outside of Australia. I turned up with the tiniest bag of clothes. And I remember this American missionary picked up and he's like, where's your bags? And I'm like, this is, this it. is it. I'm like, crocodile done there. I've got like two pairs of trousers, three shirts and a Bible. Here I am. And a knife. And a, Well, I didn't even have a knife. I wish yeah. I did. Um, and that was it. I went to this Bible college in Papua New Guinea. It just changed my life forever because there was a revival going on there. One church uh, grew from 12 people under a coconut tree to about 2,000 people. Wow. And they birthed 500 churches by training pastors for a year intensely and sending them out to start churches. Wow. What sort of things did happen there on a regular basis? Because that's explosive growth over a very short period of time, and clearly God was moving. What did you see? Well, the church that I talked about that sat under a coconut tree, the worship was just amazing. You know, like when they worshipped, it was a sense of God moving, and there was a sense of freedom, and sometimes there was dancing, sometimes... People were weeping, and and it was just those, you know, when you're in those sort of services, it's not manufactured, you know, it probably wasn't the greatest music in the world, but there was just the awe of God in those meetings, and Mm. some of the preaching was so powerful. And that stuff changes you. You get in an environment like that, something happens to you on the inside, and it models to you what it looks like when God moves. Mm. Um, It sounds like a very different picture to what we often see in churches in Australia. Yeah. What's the difference, do you reckon? Oh, gee, I don't even know. I don't know what the formula is, Phil, but I just think God puts his hand on certain places at certain times, and I was just very blessed to be in one of those environments where he was moving. Mm. 
And as an example, like the church had a painter, a maintenance guy, and um, he was there full time as his job. I found out he was a cripple, could never walk. One of the pastors prayed for him. Starts walking. Wow, that's amazing. That's just incredible. So every time you see the painter at church painting, standing around walking and climbing ladders, like that guy was a cripple. Yeah. <laughs> and this story after story, I went to a, a church meeting in a village somewhere, a few hours out of town, met this old guy with this glorious look on his face, this sparkle in his eyes. He was glowing. And they said, oh, that guy got raised from the dead last week. He was oh. dead. <laughs> just stuff like that. It changes you. Yeah, that's amazing. So how long were you up there? A full year. A full year. Mm. So you came back full of, you know, full of faith, full of vim and vigor. Yep. What'd you do? Well, when I was up there, I felt God's sake out of Africa and uh, didn't know anyone in Africa. Reached out to Reinhard Bonke's ministry and a guy called Benson Idaho's ministry. It's the only two ministries I knew about in Africa. Bonke's one never wrote back to me and Idaho's one did. And they said, sure, come over. They didn't promise me a job. And they said, come. So I went to Nigeria. I landed in Nigeria with $10. Again, I think two bags of clothes this time. Okay. It was a, little, a little more prepared. <laughs> well, a little few more clothes and uh, ended up spending a year in Nigeria and that was also a life-changing year, yeah. In, in what way? What did you see there? Well, again, I was in a ministry. Benson Idaho said literally cracked Nigeria open with the gospel. Uh, Nigeria was once known as the missionary's graveyard because so many missionaries would die there. It was a juju place, a witchcraft place. It was mm. deep. It was dark in their culture. And a lot of me, and even when Ida Hosa and T.L. Osborne first did the, the early crusades in Nigeria, they were getting stones thrown at them. People were, ch- you know, just not wanting to know about it. And Ida Hosa, God used him to crack the nation open. And you end up in this church that he started with thousands of people and his birth churches all around the nation. And I got to go to all those churches. And again, you hear the stories and you see what God's doing and it just changes you. Mm. So you turn up, two bags, $10. Did they have somewhere for you to live or what, how did it all play out? Yeah, so they had an Australian missionary uh, working for him, and I, I lived with the Australian missionary. I didn't tell anyone I only had $10. <laughs> I just <laughs> turned up, and uh, I just started trusting God, and I never asked anyone for money, and people started sending me money from Australia. And, I mean, I started preaching over there. The first meeting I did was like 12 women on a Friday night, a woman's meeting. And, you know, and yet I'm praying, and, I'm, and God's showing me thousands of people in my prayer time i could see thousands in prayer but in reality i could see 12 women on a friday night and i found it hard it was a mm. very uh, i felt oppressed and spiritually attacked but you know long story cut short at the end of that year i'd preached to like thirty thousand people in one meeting i'd led thousands to the lord i'd preached to thousands of people and god really used me as well as receiving there i also gave a lot as well mm. Papua New Guinea for a year, Nigeria for a year. I guess after that you'd seen some pretty incredible things that would have convinced you without doubt that God is real and moves. Absolutely. And I also saw two stories there of revival, what we call revival. And But in both cases, they were people who heard God and just did what God said. They weren't trying to manufacture anything. They weren't copying any formulas. And I think that's my biggest takeaway, Phil, is that I just learned to be myself and just do what God tells me to do, not to try and copy other people's methods. I've never listened to someone else's sermon and tried to preach it. I've always just preached out of my own heart, out of my own revelation, Mm -hmm. and just to be secure in yourself. Like, I am who God made me to be, and that's all I am, nothing more, nothing less. Mm. So you came back to Australia and then went into ministry for yourself. I can imagine it was a pretty different environment for you coming into an Australian church compared to being you know, in Nigeria and Papua New Guinea. Yeah, I became a youth pastor. 
But again, just just be real. You be who you are, and you do what God tells you to do. And and yeah, we saw God move at that time in the in the youth. I was a youth pastor. We saw a lot of youth get saved and baptized, and a little bit of a, an outbreak of the Holy Spirit there in salvation, which was nice. And uh, you know what I've learned also: don't be moved by the numbers. Who cares if there's twenty thousand or if there's two? You know, we see in the Book of Acts, Philip preaches to the whole city of Samaria, cripples walking, miracles happening, salvation flowing, and God says, "Now go to the desert." And he just reaches one guy. And I mm. believe that one guy encounter with the uh, Ethiopian eunuch was just as powerful as a citywide mm. crusade. So for me, I'd rather talk to one person because God told me to than go to a big crowd because the numbers look better or the social media looks better or the offering's bigger or something. I've just learned just to be who you are and just do what God tells you to do. Mm. It's a great reminder because we love to look at the numbers. And you know, when you're starting a church, you mentioned earlier you started a church in a home with five other people. That's a that's a pretty small number. What led you to that decision? Yeah, we um, just felt the Holy Spirit leading us to start a church, and I guess that's what I did learn in New Guinea and Africa. It doesn't matter how small you start, if God's in it. Yeah, he says, don't despise a day of small beginnings. I mean, look at Vision. We started what thirty years ago with one broadcast station. In a place called Bow Desert in Queensland, and now we've got over 800 broadcast stations. And when God's in something, it doesn't matter how small it starts. The birth of Jesus proves that whatever God does, he starts small. I mean, the Savior of the world started as a little baby who couldn't walk, couldn't talk, couldn't do anything, and yet, boom, now we've got over 2 billion people following him. Yeah. It always amazes me. You know, Jesus rode into Jerusalem. He came in on a donkey. You know, here's the king of the universe riding on a donkey. Ordinarily, we would think, okay, we've got tanks and you've got marching bands and, you know, all this paraphernalia going on. But he was humble. And I think there's a real key there for us. Absolutely. And and again, with the starting small, I, I sometimes hear young guys talk today. They want to start a church, but they want to raise $200,000 and they want to start with a bang and a concert and a... And it's like, well, you don't need that if God's in it. That's what I learned from my experience mm. overseas. You just need God to be in it. That's the key. Yeah, that's good stuff. Andrew, thanks so much for telling your story today. Uh, it's been great. I've learned a few things about you that I didn't know, so uh, that that's always good. And you're about to inspire us with the best five-minute sermon we'll hear today as well. So no, no pressure, but um, just give us a little teaser here. What's coming up? I want to talk about Abraham. I love Abraham. I love his story. He inspires me, and I think he inspires all of us the more we study his life. This is Sunday Morning Together across Australia on Vision Christian Radio. A short one is often more difficult than a long one, so um, hats off to you, Andrew, for doing this this morning. My guest this morning is Andrew McLennan, and he's going to take us into the life of Abraham. What an inspiration. Yeah, well, that's a faith statement, Phil, when you said hats off to you, Andrew. I haven't done it yet, but uh, (laughs) we're going to do it. We're going to go there. So I want to read out a Bible verse. Um, Before I do, I want to remind us all that Abraham is acknowledged by the three great faith um, communities or, you know, religions or whatever you want to call them of the world, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. We all look to Abraham. Everyone acknowledges Abraham. So right now, Phil, around the world, there's more than three billion people who look to Abraham as a role model, which is really interesting, which is almost probably half the world's population, I would say. Um, And so let's look at this guy, Abraham, because we can learn so much from his life. And it says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 7, Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. And so I want to look at the faith of Abraham because what I love about Abraham's life is that he's acknowledged as the father of faith, as one of the greatest men of faith in the Bible. But when we think of men of faith, we think of pastors and leaders. We think of people on stages at conferences or in churches or 
on Vision Radio or uh, settings like that. But what I love about Abraham is he never preached the message, never stood up in front of a crowd that we see in the Bible anyway as a preacher, as a leader. What Abraham was, he was a, a businessman. Now, his business was agribusiness. He was a farmer. But ultimately, he was a guy doing business. And yet in the midst of his business and his business dealings, he had this incredible faith in God. And and such so much so that the Bible acknowledges him now as the father of faith. And this encourages me. And I want you to be encouraged as well. Because you don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be a leader. You don't have to have a title or even a position or even a role in church. You just need to know God and you can have faith. And, and, and I'm talking about faith that actually changes things. I'm talking about faith that can actually see the hand of God move in your life, in your family, in your circumstances, in your situation, and in Abraham's case, definitely in your business dealings because he left Haran, his birthplace. God said in Genesis chapter 12, get out of your, your country, leave your family, leave your friends, leave everything you once knew, Abraham, and come to a land that I will show you. And so, you know, he would have taken a bit of stuff with him. But at the end of the day, the Bible says he became one of the richest men in the East. So his faith was so real and so powerful that God took a just this random guy. You know, what I love about uh, Australia, oh, I don't know if I love it, but it's a, it's, a, it's a phenomena in country towns in Australia. If you come into a town and move into a town, as we all know, you're called a blow-in. And you might be a blow-in for 20 years. You know, you're not a local, you're not established, and people watch you for a while and they just check you out. Well, Abraham was a blow-in. He blew in to a new part of the world. You know, he would have had a few camels. He would have had a few servants. You know, he had a few animals with him, had a bit of money probably with him. But, you know, because of his faith, he then just basically dominated that whole area. He took over and he became one of the wealthiest people of that part of the world. And so that's what faith does. Faith can see the hand of God move. And so Abraham was a great man of faith, but he wasn't a preacher and he wasn't a leader. And that means all of us can have great faith. You don't need to to have a title. You don't need to have a position. You don't even need to do anything in your local church, but your faith can actually prevail. And the other thing I love about Abraham's faith, it was very personal and it was very, very real to him. Because if you study his life, um, it wasn't a case of Abraham was this young guy that read a book about faith, and he's like, oh, wow, I want to have faith. And he, he kept trying to have faith and trying to build his faith. The Bible says that as a young man, God spoke to him and said, Abraham, get out of your country. Go to a land that I'll show you. And that was very real to him, very personal to him. He hadn't read it in a book. He hadn't heard it preached in a service. It was just God spoke to him. And all he did was obey the voice of God on his heart. And this is the key to his faith. And so no matter who you are or where you are today, you can have great faith as well. Just do what God has told you to do in your heart. It may be a scripture you've read or a sense you get while you're praying. But if you just step out and do what God has told you to do, this is what real faith is. And you can see the hand of God move in your life, in your family, in your circumstances, your professional life, your business life, your farming life. Whatever you're doing today, God can move in your life if you just obey God and do the thing that he has put on your heart. So I'm going to pray for us today. That's my five-minute message done. 
And I'm going to ask God to, to grow all of our faith. I want my faith to grow. Lord, I just pray for every person that's heard this message today, including myself, Lord. I pray that you would grow our faith. Help us to know you more. Help us to hear your voice more. Lord Jesus, help us to follow you more, Lord God, and, and just do the things you've put on our heart, even if they're little things, even if they're tiny things. Help us to be obedient, Lord, that our faith might grow and that we might be the children of Abraham. We might be those who believe you, whether we are called pastor, leader, you know, song leader, whatever, Lord, we can just be just a person in a church. But God, you can grow our faith, develop our faith, and we can see you move in our lives. We thank you for this today. In Jesus' name, amen. Sunday morning together with Phil Edwards on Vision. Uh, you said something earlier that kind of uh, caught my attention, and, and that was about just doing what God wants you to do. And I reckon there's a lot of people, and, and myself included, struggle with that sometimes of, how do you know? How do you know what God wants you to do? How have you dealt with that? That's a great question. Look, as a very young man, Phil, I made a decision that the Word of God comes first in my life. In other words, if I read it in the New Testament, sorry for hitting your microphone, if I read it in the New Testament, that's it. It settles it. And so, number one, it's it's what does it say it in the Bible? Is it biblical? And then number two, if you sense it in your heart, um, for me, I have to keep praying about it. And then I will often go to church twice on a Sunday. And after the Sunday night service, I'll go home, I'll just sit and rest, and I'll just try and then say, okay, was this my spirit or was this my emotions or my mind? Mm. And then after that, I talk to wise, older, mature Christian people and I ask them, I say, what do you think? I feel like God's saying this and I get wise counsel. So I think those are the three things. You've got to, number one, settle it in the Word of God, settle it in your own heart and let it settle down because sometimes we get emotional about things and we think it's God and we get all excited. But sometimes you just got to wait and just see, was that an emotion or was that the Spirit? And then bounce it off wise counsel because even Paul went up to Jerusalem and checked with the apostles when he, when he thought he'd heard God. Mm. Well, there's a theme I can hear there and that's that whole be quiet, be still. Um, pull back, reflect, and that's pretty hard to do these days because there's just so much that's at us all the time trying to get our attention. Yeah, there's so much noise in the media and on social media, and there's so many big events happening and big issues that we're facing. I mean, as you said, this Saturday we're going to be voting in that voice referendum. Everyone's getting caught up on all the big stuff. But, you know, I've just found God moves in the little stuff, and Elijah found the same thing. You know, there was there was fire, there was wind, there was earthquakes, and what did God did? God speak through any of that? No, he spoke through the still, small voice. Mm. And we've all right now just got to hear that still, small voice, Phil, and just like, what's God saying to me? He might have just said, go and start a small group in your church or go and help out in the kids' church or give to Vision-a-thon or just do something which doesn't look like it's going to change the whole world, but that's what you have to do and that's what I have to do. And if we all do what we have to do, God's going to do the big stuff. Mm. Sunday morning together. Across Australia on Vision Christian Radio. Well, we're nearly at the end of uh, things today with Sunday Morning Together. Phil's my name. My guest today has been Pastor Andrew McLennan. Thanks so much for spending some time with us today, mate. Been a pleasure. I really enjoyed it. And uh, I wonder if you might be able to lead us in something special right now, and that is praying for our nation. You mentioned before the referendum is coming next week. There's you know just lots of things going, lots of people struggling uh, lots of good things going on too in our nation too that we can be thankful for. But uh, can you lead us in a prayer? Yeah, absolutely. Father, we want to thank you for our nation. God, we thank you that we're here. And we pray though, Lord God, you would be here as well. God, we pray we would see greater works of your spirit in our nation. 
Lord, we pray your word would take deeper root in the hearts of people in this land, Lord God, that all across Australia, from the north, the south, the east, and the west, Lord God, that your spirit would move in a way we've never seen before. God, we do ask for revival in Australia. We ask, Lord, that stuff would change in our nation spiritually, that Jesus, it will be a place that you pour your spirit out, Lord God, and men and women and children everywhere will call upon the name of the Lord to be saved, Lord God, that we would see your kingdom grow and your church just multiply all across this wonderful nation, Lord God, and not just for us, that we would then be a blessing to others. We would send people all around the world, Lord, to preach and to teach, Lord God, to sing, to encourage, Lord God, Lord, through virtual means and also physically. We thank you for this now. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm, Amen. Great prayer. Always good to pray for our nation. And uh, and particularly, here's a challenge. If there are any leaders that you don't like, pray for them. Yeah. Do you do that? I'm getting convicted right now, Phil. <laughs> I need to do that. <laughs> it's a challenge, isn't it? Like if you, whoever's in government or whatever, you, you might not like them, but we're actually instructed to pray for them. Yeah, good word. Pray that they would have wisdom and you know, ultimately that they would know God themselves. But uh, yeah, there's a challenge for us all this morning. Great message. Well, that's it. We're just about done. Thanks so much once again. My pleasure. Andrew McLennan uh, as uh, our guest, and we're going to be hearing you uh, on the radio. Of course, you're here working with us here at Vision. Um, Any good interviews in the can that we can expect to be coming up in the next little while? Well, I'm hosting the best of 2020 at, uh, well, I won't say what time it is because we've got five different time zones across (laughs) Australia. Later on today, today, uh, I'm hosting the best of 2020. We had some great interviews the previous week, so we'll be showing the best of that uh, for this Sunday. So that's going to be good. Good stuff. And, of course, you can hear Andrew often popping up in uh, the 2020 interviews, uh, which you can listen to in our podcast at vision.org.au or in the free Vision Christian Media app. Have a wonderful Sunday. Catch you next week. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au. 